Take it away. Hey guys, welcome to the Delta Flyers. I am your host, Garrett Wong, and with me is my co-host, Robbie McNeil. We just wanted to let you know that as we got into this very first pilot episode, Caretaker, we realized there's so much to talk about. It's a supersized pilot episode of the Delta Flyers. We hope you enjoy it. We'll be watching all the Voyager episodes, starting from number one, Caretaker, the pilot episode, all the way to the very end, and discussing our views about each episode, talking about insights that only we would have because we were there. I don't remember much of anything at all, (laughs) so you're going to have to remind me. I really, I don't understand why I have no memory function in my brain. Like, I, you know, this is going to be great for me because uh, you're going to remind me of things and then I'm going to, I'm going to sit back, I'm going to watch these episodes and I, I need this kind of practice for me to remember anything. Wait, what's your name again? Henry Kim is the character that I played. Henry Do you remember Kim. that? Yes. Good old Henry. Uh, (laughs) so just to give you guys a bit about the format of this show we will be providing this podcast in all the standard areas that you can get your podcasts from such as itunes and and spotify um but we will also have a second version which we will be adding extra bonus material and extra interviews and other fun things that will be available through our patreon um, page So please check out Patreon and the Delta Flyers there to subscribe and get in on the inside info. Anything to add to that, Mr. McNeil? Um, No, I don't think so. We're going to have some cool t-shirts and mugs and hats and underpants, maybe some underpants. You know, we could put that in the merch store. Underwear. Tidy whities with a logo on it. Tidy whities would be good. Maybe some boxers, right? For those that want to kind of, yeah. Yeah, whatever you like. Okay. That sounds good. <laughs> no, I think it's going gonna, it's gonna to be fun. We're going to, yeah, the podcast, uh, the short podcast will be the free one out to everybody on, on those uh, sites, as you said. That'll be our recap. It'll just focus really in, on the episode. But we've got some ideas for uh, having fun with this, playing around with things like uh, winners and losers on each episode and uh, maybe scenes we'd like to do over. We may give you a little sample of, uh, of uh, how we might do things over and uh, if we had a second chance and, uh, in, in our wisdom of, of our old age here. Yep. And also fan reviews. We'll be reading some of those and yep. discussing those. We will be right back with our recap after this break. Hey guys, welcome back to the Delta Flyers. We are now back from rewatching <laughs> the pilot episode wow. Wow. Do you have synapses I, firing i yeah so many things to say about re- re-watching that i i forget things like like neelix had a super cool coat that he wore like that when uh. he when he was in his little you know junk ship or whatever and he had that cool coat and we'll get there in the recap but like that was a cool coat. Why didn't he just stay in that cool coat? He looked like a badass. That was awesome. He yeah. looked like he had an edge to him, you know? Yeah. <laughs> and he saved us. He's out on the planet. He grabbed the gun and, oh man, there's so much that I didn't remember. So, okay. That's good. a good thing. I learned a lot. I learned a lot from that recap. All right. Uh, just to start it off, I kind of wanted to revisit a little bit. Um, I know in our prior sort of intro episode, uh, part one and two about 
who we are. Um, we talked about a lot, but I just wanted to be a little bit more precise about the casting process that I, I went through as Kim, because it was really just crazy. Um, and I just want to share this with the fans out there who haven't heard this. When I initially got the call for that, I had just finished going to the callback audition for a film by a producer named Rich Wilkes. And it was a true story of the writer's experience, collegiate experience at U University of California in Santa Cruz. And so I was one of the roommates, right? right. And the actual callback audition was me singing or lip syncing this punk rock song called Now We Are 21. It was insane because I started out lip syncing. I didn't know you the had uh, musical tendencies, Garrett. You, I have none. You should have, have been, you should have done, instead of the clarinet on this on Voyager, you should have been like a punk rock musician. <laughs> That would have been cool, right? <laughs> yeah, that would have been. Cool. That would have been cool. Um, but I remember going from that fi that final callback audition where uh, I'm screaming the lyrics like, and it's just I'm throw at the end I'm throwing like the chair around so it looks like somebody's getting killed or sounds like somebody's getting killed. <laughs> and I I remember walk opening up the door and the entire room of it's probably over a hundred actors waiting to go in on Tide and Colgate, and they look out they're just looking at me wide eyed like what the hell happened? And I walked past, I go, I think I got the role. And what happened was they were filming. And after I threw the last chair against the wall and the last refrain of um, that song was my character singing 21. And I made this 21. Originally I was gonna go 21, but in the audition I went 21 and I flipped off the, the producer and the director and everybody. And when that was done, the director comes up and he hugged, bear hugged me and he goes, I love you, man. And at that point I thought, I think I have that role. And I had to run straight from there to Paramount Studios. And oh, I'm, wow. as I'm at Paramount, right, about to audition for Nan Dutton, I get a page. Remember the pagers we had back oh, in the yeah. 90s? So I, pick, I, I answer my page and I call my agent and he's like, guess what? You booked, you booked the film. And I said, yeah, I, I think I already know that because the director was bear hugging me at the end. And right when I'm saying that, the director, Rich Wilkes, walked past the phone booth on Paramount Studio lot with Brandon Braga. So I run out, I go, Rich, Rich, thanks for casting me. And he's like, hey, Garrett, what are you doing here? I said, what are you doing here? He says, oh, I'm just here with my buddy who went to UC Santa Cruz with me, Rich, uh, Brandon Braga. Oh. And he's giving me a tour of the Voyager set. And I said, oh. That's pretty funny because I'm actually auditioning for the Voy for the, the Voyager series. And and then Brandon in his, you know, in his sort of uh, cryptic way looks at me and he says, Hope to see you in the second round. As always said, very kind of subtle. <laughs> and then they walked away. And now years later I found out that Rich Wilkes turned to Brandon and he says, Don't you dare steal my effing actor from me out from underneath me okay and then wow. that's exactly what ended up happening right because wow, because of why because when Jean-Pierre Bujold quit because after we were filming the pilot we were supposed yeah. to have a break before we filmed this, the next episode yeah. that break was when I was going to film this movie in Santa Cruz and it oh, got wow. all trashed because of the whole yes the, the captain and everything the debacle wow. yeah wow. so I rock so I walk he's like good luck on the audition I walk into Nan Dutton's office I walk in to see this ashtray the size of like a Frisbee and it's just a mound of cigarettes and she's just puffing away. And she goes, oh yeah, yeah, sit down, sit down. And as we do the audition, she stops me after two lines. She goes, well, you, what are you doing? I said, well, I, I'm 
I'm looking at my, you don't have it memorized? I said, well, no, I'm, I'm still on book. It's my first audition. I, I thought maybe it's okay to be on book. Well, what made you think that? I said, well, I just literally just got back from a callback audition to, I, I drove over here very quickly and now I'm here auditioning for this. And I booked the role, I booked the film. She goes, oh, what's the film called? And I named the film, she goes, never heard of it. I mean, she was really just abrupt with wow. me. And so she looked at me and she says, you know what? Get out of my office. Get out of my office. Go look at the lines until you know them and then come back. Wow. And just come back at that point. And I said, are you, are you serious? She goes, yeah, get out. And so I walked out wow. and I looked at the casting director's assistant, Libby. And I said, Libby, Libby Goldstein. I said, Libby, I said, I think Nan Dutton hates my guts. And she goes, what happened? I said, she, she kicked me out. She goes, she kicked you out. And I explained her the whole thing. And she says, and then what did she say? I said, so then she tells me to go memorize the lines and then come back later. She goes, oh, she told you to come back. I said, yeah. Oh, that means she loves you. And I go, what? I mean, I, that doesn't make any sense. And she says, okay. I, I looked at her and I said, I'm, I, honestly, I've never ever had anyone sort of like, you know, treat me like that in terms of talking to me very, so abruptly and, and frankly, rudely. Um, I think I need some time to, and especially since I booked that other role, I was prepared for that. I'd like to prepare for this a little bit better. Can you ask her to reschedule me? And she just, her eyes opened up and she says, you want me to do what? I said, I want you to see if I can be rescheduled. And she says, I don't think I can do that. I said, what do you, because even her assistants were kind of afraid of her, right? And she says, well, if I do this, Garrett, you don't know what could happen. I said, well, what do you want me to do? She says, I need you to leave the building. So the, the casting assistant, Libby, told me to leave the building, go around the corner to the alley and hide behind the dumpster and read my lines in the meantime if I wasn't going to get the chance to be rescheduled. So about 10 minutes later, Libby comes into the alley and, and finds me and she's like, she goes, I can't believe it. Nan, this is the first time she's done this in all the years I've worked for her. She's going to reschedule you. I wow. cannot believe it. So I got to come back and do it again. One of the scenes that I had to read was from the stairwell of the pilot where Harry and Bellana are trying to get out of the old Compton underground and um, they're, they've been diseased. You know, they have the disease right. from the caretaker and they're very weak, right? And so there's a big speech that I can't believe it, you know, uh, my very first mission and I'm going to die. You know, that's the Harry Kim speech. So I'm actually, before my fifth audition <laughs> in front of Network, I, I'm talking with Nan and we're going over this scene and she cuts me short and she says, what is it with you damn actors? And I said, what now? And she says, you're supposed to be dying in this scene. You're supposed to be experiencing pain. Do you understand what that means, pain? And I said, yeah, well, of course. I don't think you do. I think you need to come over here. So I walked around her desk. She goes, roll up your sleeve. So I rolled up my sleeve and she says, give me your arm. I go, well, okay. And then she grabs my forearm and starts twisting it in opposite directions. And that sort of like that, what we would like as the, Americans call an Indian burn or whatever yes, we would say. Yeah. 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 And, and I'm going, ah, ow. And she said, okay, now do the audition while I'm doing this. And so I'm going, I can't believe that on my very first wow. mission, I'm going to die. And so I'm sitting there in pain, literally. Wow. And she goes, and that's how you do pain. And so I was sitting there in pain. She must have really liked you, honestly, to, yeah. to invest that kind of time. And, you know, it's very unusual for them to, to get involved and in that big time, yeah. big time. So I have all the thanks in the world to give to Nan Dutton for literally putting me through the ringer, the yeah. ringer and getting me to that point where I was able to get this role. Wow. And the crazy thing, I was seeing every, every Asian person on the planet, I saw short round walking out of the building. 
from uh, Indiana Jones and the Temple of yeah. Doom, right? And also Goonies, uh, Data. He was Data in Goonies. I saw him walking out. out and I was like, oh, it's Short Round. He's, a, he's auditioning for Ensign uh, Kim. <laughs> I actually, Robbie, I saw the actor. His name is Jonathan K. Kwan. I saw the actor at a convention about a year ago. And we were talking. He's like, wait a minute. You're the one that booked the Voyager <laughs> So That's he still funny. remembers that. Yeah. Wow. He still remembers that. And, I, sure. and then, yeah, Megan said, you guys should do a show together about two Asian actors that have been, you know, big in the past. And now you're doing <laughs> life. And I thought, eh, this could be funny. Right. Wow. But um, that, yeah, that audition process was just, is, is so surreal, you know, for me. Yeah. Um, and it, I just remember the day that I, I, I got the, the call that I booked the role. They was like, my agent was, very, very, very low key. And he says, uh, guess what? You booked it. I go, what? I booked the role? He's like, yep. I said, so are you joking with me? No. Why would I be? He was like Stephen Wright, the comedian that has no emotion. He goes, why would I be joking? Why would I be joking? I said, because you don't sound like you're excited. He goes, I'm very excited for you. And then I was like, okay. And he says, you need to get down to Paramount Studios and they need a fitting with you today. And I was filming All American Girl, Margaret Cho's um, sitcom that lasted for one season. I was the guest, um, guest star for that week. And so I hauled ass from Warner Brothers over the hill to get to Paramount during rush hour. And as I'm driving in to the Paramount um, uh, guard shack, the guard and I had made friends. Remember, I've, this is my, I've been there six times for all these auditions. Sure. So this guard and I were friends and we had a bet going. We, uh, whoever the winner was owed the other guy a 24 case of beer. Um, and the bet was, I said, I'm not getting in this role and he said you're gonna get it and you're gonna owe me a lot of beer and i was like okay <laughs> so i drove up and he's there and he goes you got it didn't you i said yes i owe you beer and he said and i said i'm i said it for him did i did you? i said i did oh, i said and i said to him i'm late i'm really really late because i'm supposed to be here like 20 minutes ago and i came from the valley where do i park he says in the blue tank anywhere in the blue tank and so i drive down there and i'm cruising around i'm actually speeding around the parking lot and I come around this one bend and this guy in a suit walks between two cars right in front of my car. So I slam on my brakes and I'm like, <sighs> and you know, when you almost have an accident, your heart is beating a thousand miles a minute. And yeah. I lock eyes with this dude in the suit and it's Harrison Ford. Okay. And I look at him and I go, I go, oh my God, I almost killed Han Solo, Indiana Jones. I would have been hated by by nerds everywhere <laughs> like i would have been like this pariah and i and i kept thinking holy crap and i remember reading the variety paper there are our, our hollywood uh yeah. um, sort of trade paper the next day and yeah. on the front page was a photo it says harrison ford at paramount studios for the clear and present danger screening so he was there for that job oh, you know wow. yes so wow. the tom clancy novel right so yeah. he he was there for that wearing that same suit that i almost maimed him in right so wow. he could have been a, a cripple because of me um and there lo and behold i i, I made it you had a lot you had a lot of adventures just getting to starting shooting this series exactly you i did you barely survived i ba <laughs> all right 
So uh, on that note, on I that think note, let's should, start talking about the episode. Let's start talking about the ep. I'm sorry. I just yeah. wanted to fill everyone in. Just get yeah, that's little, good. Better now than later. Talk yeah. about Harrison Ford later, right? Okay. Um, so as we start up, we see the opening credits. We see the crawl, sort of like in a la Star Wars, the crawl. Yeah, I thought that, it, I'd for, totally forgotten about that. You didn't I, remember that? I oh didn't remember gosh. the crawl. I do. Okay. I do remember once I saw it. I it, I flash back to sitting in that big Paramount theater, the movie theater, when we had the screening. And I remember when that crawl came up at the screening, I was like, yeah, I had flashes of Star Wars and yeah. I, it was just, it felt epic. It felt like iconic. Yeah. And the music and everything, because we hadn't seen the pilot. We've been shooting for a few months. That's right. Saw anything. And the first time that I remember seeing it was in that, that, that uh, theater screening. What people don't realize is that um, typically we shoot one episode in seven days. Every now and then we, it would take eight days to film an episode. And because this was a two-parter, um, it should have taken 14 days. Yeah, to, by the way, right? I forgot it was a two-parter. I literally <laughs> got to like an hour and I, and, I, and I paused it for a second. And I was like, oh my God, I can't believe there's another half hour. Like I, we, I can't remember. Oh my God. An hour and a half pile. I didn't remember that. Didn't remember that's so funny. Yeah. So, so typically, if it would take uh, seven days to film one, you would think that it would take 14 days to film this one. But in reality, um, it was a 31-day shoot. And, you know, which they spent extra time primarily because we went on so many different locations. And you referred yeah. to earlier how you had thought that this is how it's always going to be. But in reality, as we've started filming the regular episodes, we had a lot of bottle shows. We stayed on the ship. We didn't go yeah. anywhere. Right. Um, and part of the reason why when people ask me, what is your favorite episode i say it's well it's a tie between timeless the 100th episode and caretaker and specifically caretaker the pilot episode because of all the locations we went on it felt like this grand yeah, you know like a movie. journey oh like a movie we we're we were filming this awesome epic feature and we were all over the place and so that to me was one of the reasons why i loved filming the pilot episode yeah the pilot was fun yeah do you remember this both Tom Paris and Harry Kim were scheduled 30 of the 31 shoot days. I didn't remember that, but I do remember that I worked a lot of days and other yes. people, you know, like uh, I think Bob Picardo came in like week three or four of the shoot or something. Bob Picardo worked, I think, two days, maybe. Yeah, I think he worked two that. days. All, yeah. Janeway, do you know how many days she worked? Here's a little no. bit of trivia. Okay. 16 of the 31. Wow. Yeah. We worked more than Janeway did, right? Um, yeah, we which is crazy. We scattered around in so many scenes. We started the very first day of filming that pilot was, I think, on the DS9 set. Wasn't the Quark's Bar the first scene we did? Quark's Bar was the first scene. Oh, no, I think it was, if it wasn't Quark's Bar, it was in the mess hall when you're ordering tomato soup. Again, back to the whole 16 days only for, for Janeway. That's nuts because on the call sheet, she was number one. And the call sheet, for those of you that don't know Hollywood jargon, is basically sort of a, uh, it shows you who's working the next day, what scenes that you're filming, you know, and it shows crew lists and everyone that's, everyone that's part of the, of the production is listed on this call sheet. And it shows you what time you're supposed to be there. And we were given numbers from day one according to how often they thought we would work. So number one was Janeway. Robbie, number two was... It was me. I was number two. Robbie was number two because the rumor was they were going to make you kind of like, yeah, like Janeway's 
boy toy or something. Something was going to happen yeah, there. It, I thought that it was, it was initially there was. I think one of the descriptions casting that pilot was a Han Solo type character that they wanted that sort of. I think they looked at older actors. Okay. I think they looked at you know yeah whatever. I think the intention was possibly that that Janeway and Paris would be a romantic couple. Yeah. Or. or you know, combative all the time or something, right. a moonlighting, something, that, mm-hmm. something like that. So yep. Paris was number two. Who was number three? I don't remember. Now, I know I'm awesome. I'm quizzing you. Who do you think three was? I would say Chakotay. Correct. Who's okay. four? Tuva. Correct. Good. Whoa. Who's five? Roxanne. No! Oh. You were five? Yes. Nice. I was right in the middle, buddy. I'm five. I can't believe you just... Oh, so it's six. I'm not going to be too hurt. Uh, who you just named, who wasn't five. Roxanne. Yes, Roxanne was six. Number seven? Neelix? Correct. Number eight? Bob? Doctor? Nope. nope. Yes. Cass. Number nine? Doctor. Bob. Bob. The doctor, yeah. Because wow. literally Bob was... Bob Picardo was supposed to be the least used of the entire show. Yeah, he was supposed he was to, to come in yeah. one day at most each episode, yeah. right? But to his, uh, to his, his credit, talent and his- to his talent, he really put in his own flair or his own style. Because let's think about, let's think about this. What is he? The emergency medical hologram. He's a computer program. So there really shouldn't be any reaction to anything or this and that. You definitely see reaction to him, which oh, we'll yeah, talk about he a had an later. attitude There's, for sure. He had an attitude already remember- right from the beginning. Well, let's keep going in order. And yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. We, um, we could be here for a week if we... If we, uh, we could. Uh, <laughs> we could talk about this. We could talk about this for 31 days. Time, the length that it took us to film it, we could keep talking for 31 days. Okay, so the, so the crawl... Let's talk, let's get back to the show. So the crawl, um, we find out that there's this group called the Maquis. They're Federation colonists. They're not, they're not happy with the treaty with uh, the Kardashians. Kardashians, the Kardashians. Yeah, I, I, I got it. I got it. It's so funny because Kardashians have been around way before Kardashians became, you know, a uh, thing. Yeah, a thing. Uh, I, I guess it just takes a sex tape, and then now yeah, that's everything, yeah. right? So, so yes, the Kardashians, uh, the, the the Federation colonists were not happy with the treaty with Kardashians. By the way, I forgot about that too. I forgot why. You didn't know what that? Was. Okay. I I totally forgot. Yep. The Maki were colonists who didn't agree with the with the uh, treaty and yeah yeah and felt like and it, Starfleet it, wasn't i i didn't remember their motivation which i think you know and that's another thing i think the fact that i forgot that to me says that i think we dropped that in the story i was reminded of that in the watching the pilot you know and yeah. uh, and and i was like oh that's a bummer that we didn't explore that more like mm-hmm. Just the, the, you know, that it seemed like we got it. We, we put everybody together and we got along pretty quickly. And we, yeah. we just sort of forgot about the fact that, that, uh, uh, you know, half our crew. Well, they were outlaws, right? They were outlaws from the Federation. And in fact, Paris had spent time with the Maquis with, because there's that tension between Paris, yeah. Paris and, Tuvok, and not Tuvok, but uh, Chakotay. So we have that. Um, uh, so after the, the crawl, we, we see that, um, Chakotay is piloting his Maquis ship. By the we way, introduced- yeah, let me talk about that Maquis ship for a minute. Here's one thing oh. I noticed. The camera was shaking and there was sparks and everything and none of the actors were moving. 
<laughs> None of the actors were doing the the old classic. And and it reminded me that when, and I forget the director's name, but someone gave us a shaking tape. Um, <laughs> because she said, she came into episode like three or Kim something. Friedman. Kim, Kim Friedman. Friedman. And she said, you know, I looked at some episodes, cuts, and you guys haven't been shaking and you need to learn how to shake. And we, I got really offended. Some of us got offended. Like, how dare you come in here? We've been doing this for a month or two. And now you're telling us, well, when I looked at the Maquis ship, she was right. Yeah, she's Our right. Just sitting there and yeah. Robert and like, nobody told the actors, you yeah. got to do this. You got to do. So, but, 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 you know, to, to the credit of, of the producers, which would be Berman uh, and Pillar and Taylor, they were so busy with everything. Oh, so many things were happening at that time, like the end of TNG, the beginning of our show, the movie they were filming. So that it, it's almost like they, they weren't ready to film Voyager because they didn't, they didn't give us that, that tutorial. And when we got that package from Kim Friedman, that was on her own, um, you know, that was her saying, I'm going to go ahead and send this to all the actors. Yeah. So all nine of us received this package in the mail and we're reading it. And literally, just like Robbie said, it says, hi, my name is Kim Friedman. I will be the director of the first episode when you come back from your pilot break. And I have directed many episodes of Deep Space Nine. And um, although you guys all did an excellent job as actors, none of you know how to shake correctly. Yeah. Not a single one of you. And she's, I've included scenes of shaking from DS9 where all the DS9 shaker, uh, DS9 actors are shaking properly. Yeah. And then I have scenes, of, and she showed us scenes from Voyager where you guys aren't doing anything correctly. Yeah. So then she went on, and so you may have took took offense to it. I laughed and I actually said, okay, because after that, she asked us to practice this. She's like, okay, you need to, she told us the technique. She said, you must oh, yeah. shake for, you must shake from your center and then allow your extremities to follow. So she says, please practice this in the mirror at home. And I was again, laughing at that part. And then, and then she says, this is the best part at the very end of this letter. She says, if after practicing in the mirror, you still cannot get the hang of it, please feel free to go knock on any Deep Space Nine actor's trailer door and ask for a demonstration. And I started laughing. Wow, I don't so remember. So hard. I'm just thinking I'm knocking on Avery Brooks' trailer. Yeah. And he opens up. He's like, yes, what is it? I said, yes, can you show me how to shake? And he's like, get out of my... You know I mean? I could just, just see him just, just <laughs> kicking me in the head. And then... <laughs> That's funny. Classic, yeah. Well, the and other right. thing I remembered is... Uh, is watching this, I forgot how much Chakotay's character hated Tom Paris. He hated you, like he, he wanted did. literally to kill you. I mean, he it, literally it was just, wanted it was to kill venom. Me. I forgot but, that, but we yeah. never really like followed that through or let that come back as like a, you know, in a crunch. No. I wish we had because there was some there was yeah. some sparks there between Paris and Chakotay, and oh yeah, the pilot Paris taunted Chakotay. Oh yeah, for and, sure. You know, those, for sure. those two hated each other. So oh. I, I, that was a, that was a, a surprise memory. And I, I, I liked that, you know, I liked, yeah. I liked that conflict and the messiness of that stuff. I, I agree. Um, um, so I forgot we got in the, I'm, I'm just going to jump yeah. around. I forgot. I uh -huh. saved you money, dude. We were, we were at the bar and you were about to buy all those, <laughs> Coins. low buy crystals the crystals yeah the crystals that's what i meant the little crystals and i was like dude these are not real they, they aren't worth anything you were about to like 
open up your wallet and pay that man anything he asked for. So yeah, I saved I was, your ass. I was going to give him my unborn son. As yeah, well as you were. Him. Yeah, <laughs> you saved, saved the day. Money. You did. Um, okay, so back to the ship. So this is the first time we see Chakotay, the first time we see um, Tuvok, and the first time that we see Torres, right? So they're the first series regulars that we get a glimpse of. And so when you see Tuvok, it's interesting because up until that point, I don't think we've ever seen a, an African-American Vulcan or, you know, a, a black Vulcan. You haven't seen that, right? Not there was a really, lead. I mean, I didn't. Um... I don't think ever, to be honest. Okay. But and I remember didn't... people were asking me interviews about that, Robbie. Like there were reporters saying, so what's up with the Tuvok character? Uh, why is there a, you know, a, a really? black Vulcan? Yes. I got these questions. Wow. And I, I sat there and I made crap up. I said, well, you know, the planet where Vulcans come from, it does have two suns. So because of the extra solar rays, there yeah. tends to be more darker complected. I was making all this crap up. I had no clue. I would buy it. Um, yeah, you can buy that one. But the crazy thing with Tim is that if you look at Tuvok, he had to shave his four, he had to shave his hairline. Yeah. So he had this perfectly round, sort of like a bowl, you know, modified bowl cut, basically. So he really didn't have the front part of his hair for the, fir for the first seven years, or the back half of his eyebrows yeah. were gone. Because you had to make that little Vulcan yeah. go up. So he never, never got to see his uh, end of his eyebrows until he was done seven years later. Yeah. Can you imagine that if they said, hey, hey, you know your eyebrows, Robbie? Yeah, guess what? You're not going to see the end of them for seven years. I'd you know what's funny about Tim, though? I remember um, as, as we got into the series, he had such a cool quality about him. I, I always thought that he, like, he seemed like he had been on Star Trek his entire career already. Like he, he knew the show, he knew the mythology really well. Look, I always had a sense from Tim that he, he just had more of a, a history and a connection with Star Trek than, than our show. I, I, I always, I, I look to him for like a lot of answers on the mythology of the show. I don't yeah. know. I don't know if he was bullshitting me or, you know. No, man, he, no, he knew it. I mean, he's definitely, he's definitely a nerd at heart for, for one. Uh, and secondly, he'd already guest starred on TNG and on DS9. And uh, like you guest starred on the first duty of TNG. You had that one, you know, yeah. uh, episode, but Tim had already done a few. I, That's I, what I thought, I thought, and, he yeah. And generations, I think he was in the feature. I mean, he, he yeah. was all over the place. Right. Yeah. So he's, yeah. he'd done a lot of it. Um, and now that comes to the point of uh, uh, the topic of sideburns, which I want to talk about right now. Uh, it's, it's very interesting because if you look at Tuvok, if you look at Chakotay, if you look at Tom Paris, and you look at Harry Kim, all four of these characters, we all had to have custom-made sideburns that were put on lace they, and they tied in human hair for each little hair of our sideburn and they pasted them on each side of our faces every single day at the beginning of the day. There were many times in the seven years that maybe we were sweating or this or that where a bit of the sideburn would be peeling off or the whole thing would be flopping in the wind where they'd have to say, cut, bring in, you know, bring in the makeup department, fix the sideburns. So you had lace sideburns, right? They were lace. Yeah. Oh, yours weren't lace? No, they would actually cut, trim hair. They'd put some glue. They'd take the hair mat it down and then trim it and then do some more glue. And so they would sort of build a sideburn on me. That's why a lot of wow. times by the, by the end of the day, I don't know why they did that. Maybe the lace just showed up more mm -hmm. for my color hair or less, or I don't know. But 
but the downside, the downside to them building it was if I got sweaty at the end of the day, as I, as I sweated throughout the day, this yeah. beautiful, you know, it was very inconsistent. The continuity was not good. Because oh. I would have a really nice, beautiful sideburn, side, sideburn at eight in the morning. Yeah. By midnight, when we worked 17 hours, I had sweated and the little hairs had fallen off. And so. That's crazy. Yeah. I almost think that's a budgetary thing. Like they were like, okay, because those, I remember those sideburns were very expensive to make. And I think that maybe they felt, my God, of all, of all the actors on our show, the Asian guy can't grow them. The white guy can't grow them. The black guy can't grow them. The Latino guy can't grow them. The only person that can grow actual sideburns was the bald guy, Bob Picardo, the doctor. He could grow full mutton chops, you know, yeah. which to me was hilarious. You probably got new shoes. I didn't get new shoes. I got used shoes day one, Robbie. The shoes that no, I put I on my Starfleet. I got used shoes. Did you get used as well? Yeah, they went through a bunch of shoes that were in the stock and I got used shoes. Oh my God. Extra well, I, shoes or, okay. You know, well, I feel bad or something. I feel bad for you too. Then I mean, that's that's that to me was just shocking. It, me being in my early twenties, I took great offense to that, and I just thought, "How dare you!" And I remember examining the shoes the first day, and I found a name tag inside my shoes, yeah. and the name tag was B. Period. Spiner. So I realized that I was wearing Brent Spiner's hand me downs. Oh uh, wow. B1. Oh yeah, and I. And I literally, you got, you got a big actor's hand-me-downs. I think mine were extras. I think it was literally from the background supply. Okay. So just random background. Yeah. And instead of getting mad, I really should have just taken those shoes home and sold them on eBay. I don't know why I, I got so angry. You know, there's, there's two sides of the coin always. And you can choose to be, you can choose to be Zen about it and let it go, or you can get all reactionary. And at that point I got all reactionary. I was pretty upset. And I remember I made a big stink about it and they brought in um, Kate's Italian shoemaker that made her shoes. So oh, wow. Captain Janeway, yeah. So this guy comes into my trailer and he looks at my, he looks at my feet and he says, okay, I got it. I go, you got what? He goes, I know your size. And I said, sir, would you like to trace the outline of my foot so you actually have an exact size of my foot? He goes, no, 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 oh, here, it's, it's, it's good, I, I, I got it. And so this guy takes off three weeks later, this beautiful pair of craftsman boots were brought to my trailer that were just gorgeous, made by this old school Italian guy. I put them on, they are way too tight, way too tight. And so and again, because he didn't measure them, right? right? So I ended up just, I, I, I talked to wardrobe, I talked to, the, to Mary Howard and I said, look, you know what I'm gonna do? I'm going to Nordstrom. I used to work for Nordstrom men's shoes when I was in college. Nordstrom has the best selection. I'm going to Nordstrom. I will pick out a pair of uh, 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 three-quarter length boots. I will bring you the, the receipt and you will reimburse me. And then Mary goes, that's fine. Because <laughs> at that point, you know, we've gone through all this stuff. Garrett, you just oh. mentioned Nordstrom, who happened to be one of our sponsors. No, they're not. <laughs> um, Okay, we're gonna move on to uh, the, okay, so after you see, you see the Maquis ship and they're being blasted by the displacement wave and they disappear. Yes. And that's when you see the opening credits for Voyager for, for the very first time. And I want your opinion, Robbie. What are your thoughts of the graphics, the music of Voyager's opening scene? I think it's beautiful. I really do. I thought it was, I thought it was, um, when we saw it in the, uh, the, the screening room, the big theater, and on the big screen, I was blown away by all of the textures and the different 
um, you know, kind of photography that they used for the different types of space and the, the rocks, the meteors or whatever, and the clouds of color and mm -hmm. all of that. I thought it was beautiful. And I thought it was a perfect fit for our show because we were going to be in the Delta Quadrant and sort of, you know, um, exploring very different kinds of uh, unknown space. I just thought yeah. it was, I thought it was the right kind of um, opening title. I love the song. I thought it was beautiful. And it was a full orchestra that did the, the, the music, not yeah, only Star for- Trek. Star Trek was one of the last shows that would have a full orchestral recording session. Correct, and I went for every to, episode. For every episode, mm -hmm. for every piece of music that was in each episode was composed by a few different composers um, that worked on the show. But yeah, it was scored like an old movie. It was done old school. When I worked, I, I worked on uh, the Orville, Seth MacFarlane's uh, show. I directed uh, first and second season on that. But when I was directing my the first season, first episode or first early episode, uh, they were scoring the Orville with a full orchestra. Nice. And I talked to Seth about that, and he said, "Yeah, Fox wanted to not do that because it was so much cheaper." Yeah. And um, he insisted. In fact, I think he said, "He said, you know what?" Uh, if you guys won't pay for it, I'll write the check and I'll pay for the orchestra because that's how important it is. And wow. of course, they're not going to take his money and you know make him pay for it. But but he won that battle and they got a full orchestra and it it was beautiful. It makes a difference. It really does. Make a difference. It does. So you sat in a, on a few of those uh, orchestral sessions. Is that correct? You saw on them? Voyager. Yeah, I did. I sat in on a few of them and particularly the ones when I, when I had directed an episode, I'd love to go over and listen to them. I would see when they would break and, or they would call it a day and I'd see this procession of, of musicians away. walking yeah, past our set wearing, they're all in black and with all their instruments. Yeah. And I just remember, I, the main thing I remember from that is just that, wow, we have a full orchestra, number one. And number two, wow, the cellist, whoever that woman is, is gorgeous. I remember, <laughs> I remember that was something that I noticed in my early 20s and singleness. I was like, boy, funny. maybe I should ask the, or the cellist out on a date. Do you remember how visual effects would give us an actual copy of our nameplate? And depending on what you had in the background, some of it was cooler than others. But in the beginning, when we had Jennifer Lean, it was... Jennifer Lean that had the blank space, which was just the stars and nothing else, no planets, no kind of gaseous anomalies. And then when Jennifer Lean left and was replaced by um, Jerry Ryan, Bob Picardo got that screen. Oh, sorry, I'm oh, sorry. It was Ethan Phillips that had it first. And then Bob Picardo got the screen that was just the stars alone. And I remember him complaining about that. He was oh, not really? happy. Uh, he was like, he was like, and now my background is just the stars. And he was not happy. <laughs> and, I, and I just realized from watching all these TNGs that every single actor, their name card is with just stars. They, every time they show planets, they don't have an actor name on it. But so it's Patrick funny, Stewart. I don't know which is better, like without, without, the distraction of you know rocks or planets or something right. your name pops out more or less yeah. the very first scene is of yeah. you with Janeway right so you and Janeway are now having a conversation um, and I, my question was was this Griffith Park and I was right it was Griffith Park the zoo specifically mm -hmm. um, and <clears throat> as we we're watching this and you're doing this whole scene I'm watching the rewatch with Megan and also with Keely the, uh, and Keely who was 11 and you've met Keely 
after we watch part of the scene and we say, you know, Megan says, you know, that's Robbie. And she goes, that was Robbie? Like, I mean, literally, she's like, that was Robbie. And then we go, yeah. She goes, are you sure? And we're like, yes, we're sure. She goes, no, that's Robbie. Like she literally for the next, you know, 25 minutes kept saying, I can't believe that's Robbie. That's not that's Robbie. Funny. Like, because she knows why? you. Was, well, well you know, yeah, she's never, <laughs> she's never I seen you. As, I, was, as, I think yeah, one of the things um, that I think about when I watched the pilot, uh, when I came on the show, I had, I, I, I knew that there was a connection to the Nick Locarno role that I had done on Next Gen. I knew that there had been some thought about, you know, me having done that character, about maybe even making this character in Voyager Nick Locarno, perhaps, or something. Mm-hmm. There had been, you know, I, in, at least in my mind, I had a real connection to this, they want the same kind of guy that was on Next Gen, the same yeah. kind of character or whatever. And my thought about Nick Locarno when I did that Next Gen episode was he was a pretty rotten guy. He was not a, he was a, you know, in his core, he was a bad guy. And uh, and he pretended to be nice. He pretended to be a good guy on Next Gen, but deep down he was a pretty rotten guy. But you did I, the right thing at the end though. At the Locarno end, he did the right thing. Yeah, he did come through in the, in the end. But my point is, I think I amplified that in my in my mind, and so everything I did. I mean, I, I in looking at it after twenty five years, mm-hmm. I feel like I leaned in really hard to like he's the he's the guy that everybody hates, so he's just going to be like screw you. I got an attitude and you know combative with everybody, and I think I amplified that in hindsight probably a little too much. Okay, I think he could have been a, a bit more relaxed. And, and so, the only reason I say that is because I think um, Keeley knows me as a human being, um, and I don't have that sort of combat like that's that just edge. Not, that's not who I am. Yeah. Like, if that's anything, right. I'm too much of a people pleaser, probably. If anything, or that's right. Uh, and, and also now you have facial hair and the glasses and so. Yeah, you know, I mean, I look different, but also there's something about that attitude that was so amplified. And I think in hindsight, I probably would have. I would have just had him relax a little more and not be so combative and not take it so like right. I think he could have been a, a I don't know just a little more relaxed and, and I, fun. I think where he where he ended up developing years later could have been there a little more in those early episodes you know I think personally yeah. you became less like that as the time went on but did I think you they actually writing him less less combative and less of a jerk but okay. also I think I started looking for opportunities to, even in reactions to things, just right. to be a little more, uh, yeah, relaxed or uh, yeah. empathetic to other people or, yeah. you know, invested in not not so selfish or whatever. The, a lot of the, the negative qualities that I think I, I, I probably dialed up a little bit early on because I thought that's what they wanted. You know, I right. thought that's, that was what they were looking for. Okay. And then, you know, what was funny while we're watching, for some reason, um, Megan, who loves the Broadway play Hamilton, started using your character as Alexander Hamilton. And she started to say yes. So she was like, how does a bastard pilot, son of a Starfleet admiral, dropped in the middle of a forgotten spot in an island prison? I mean, so she started making lyrics. <laughs> <laughs> for That's Tom a great idea. So if anyone out there I wants always, to make... You know, 
I was I had dreams and goals and aspirations. I was I was on Broadway, not in You a, were. Not in a musical, but I I was on Broadway in a in a in a play, a dramatic. Yeah. But uh but I did a lot of musicals, so if someone wants to turn Tom Paris's life into a a rap musical, I'd be happy to go there back go. And, and revive this character in, on the stage in a rap. Yeah, or even just for, you know, if so, a fan out there wants to, to substitute the lyrics in the Alexander Hamilton for Thomas Eugene Paris instead, yeah. whatever, that'd be super cool if you guys tweet us that and we could actually perform that as a, you know, a little side bonus material. Oh, that would be fun. I'd like to see that, right? Yeah. Um, one thing annoyed me about that scene with you talking with Janeway, that walk, that walk and talk, Janeway has her hands behind her back the entire time that you guys are walking down that hill. And yeah. she just looks like a pogo stick going, thing, thing, thing. and to, it just, for me, just watching that, I was like, as a director, I would have been like, okay, um, let's see it with your hands down by your side. You know, I mean, she, it, to me that, I don't know if that bothered you or if you noticed that. I was that's something I've always looking at my goofy long arms sw swinging. And yeah, <laughs> it was, we were walking down a hill Yes. It's pretty, you know, that, steep. That, that was steep. But the way he shot it on that long lens, that, that telephoto lens, you can't really tell that it's a hill. And so oh. the way that, you know, when you're walking down a hill, your body sort of compensates for that, for gravity going down, but you couldn't really see that. So it made both of us look a little bit like, you know, we're kind of clomping, you know, it, it, it almost looked like, flatter land than it was and so I gotcha. yeah I, I was too busy looking at my goofy walk to notice okay as we're watching it megan was like did you notice that he's totally sweaty here on his chest but his face is totally dry like that's one thing that you saw in that scene that was a little like hey why is that doing why, why is it like that i remember and that scene they were spraying you know when when you uh when you do scenes where i was supposed to be doing manual labor and so yes uh i think in the first scene where she where i'm drilling or something and i yeah. turned around i noticed that they had put some glycerin like sweat in here yes. but yeah my my whole face was dry Completely. and I, I i find that to be uh not not uncommon i find that it happens a lot in tv and film stuff where it's hard to maintain continuity for sweat to look mm -hmm. real you know yeah. they put a little like circle of sweat under your arm and they put like a, a little sweat line right there, but then yeah. it doesn't seem to match. So, oh yeah. 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 Or you, you'll see a an actor playing basketball in a scene and, and the sweat just looks so fake because it was, you know, the wardrobe department or somebody putting with taking a spray bottle and spraying it to make mm -hmm. it ready. So I didn't notice it on that, but I've, I've noticed that before. Yeah in some episodes that, you know, our, our sweat or our, you know, that kind of thing can sometimes look a little manufactured and not, yeah. not natural. Oh yeah. And I, I manufactured a lot of my own sweat on the topic yes, of sweat. I was probably number two sweater on the show, but you Do were, you think so? You were the you were number two. I think I was number two after. Wow. You. I never would have said that about you. Really? I never, no, because like with you, and I'm going to go, I'm going to jump forward to, you know, whatever an episode it was, I don't know the name of it, but we were filming and it was your coverage and it was hot on the bridge or wherever we were. No, we weren't on the bridge. And so as the camera's on your right side of your face and I'm, I'm, I'm standing off camera and I'm watching you and it's hot and you're sweating, but you're only sweating on 
your left side of your face away from camera. And I remember when they yelled cut, I said, Robbie, you are so professional. You're amazing. <laughs> Holy crap. The side of your face that's on camera, it's not sweating at all. It's so hot in here. You're just only allowing the sweat to come off of the right. left side of your face. So I thought that you didn't sweat that much. I, on the other hand. Professional actor. Yeah, you did a good job. I sweat so much that I had a white salt sweat stain on my black Starfleet uniform all the time to the point where they had to manufacture a different garment for me. So the underneath, we had that sort of like grayish blue, whatever uh, tank top that was manufactured where they put in these huge pads underneath both of my underarms to collect all this sweat so that I wasn't. Oh, yeah, through I, the remember. Yeah, yeah. I, remember I had you. that. I had a totally different setup. And I, then I talked to wardrobe. I said, I'm so sorry. And they said to me, you know what, Garrett, every Star Trek series has a sweater. And in Voyager, you are the sweater. <laughs> I said, really? I said, so what about, what about TNG? Who's a sweater on that? LeVar Burton. I said, so they had, they literally had a person oh, like they, they knew from every series. And I've since found out that after Voyager Enterprise, it was Phlox. So the character of the Dr. Phlox, um, played by Billingsley, John Billingsley. He was a sweater on that one. Yeah, oh, so wow. we had a lot of sweat going on. Um, yeah, so, so Megan always said you were the most well-groomed prisoner that she'd ever seen. Yes. Her <laughs> hair was perfect. Perfect, okay? right? Yeah, and if you guys, if you remember, Robbie, Carrie McCluggage was the, was the um, president of Paramount Television Group at the time. Yeah. And one of Carrie McCluggage's, um, one of the things that he would say to all showrunners is like, you know what, if you can't get the script right, if you can't get this right, just make sure one thing, one thing, the hair, make sure the hair is right. That was one of his big, oh, yeah. big things, right? Um, so hair, hair it was, and there you were. With there I was, hair. I had perfect hair. <laughs> all right, so the next scene, the next scene, we are, um, uh, on the whole reason why Janeway is there, because she needs you to help find the Maquis ship. Okay, yeah. She asks you to come help find it as an observer and you tell her, how dare you? I'm the best pilot ever and I, you should have me as a pilot. Um, so now we have a scene where both you and Be uh, Stadi, the character of Stadi, who is a Betazoid, yeah. are sitting in that shuttle and you're heading over to, um, you're basically flying towards Deep Space Nine and you see Voyager kind of docked. Yeah. Uh, onto Deep Space Nine. And this is where your infamous, you know, your swash, your Han Solo swashbuckling kind of comes in to, to your dialogue because you have that beautiful line, which is uh, where, where you're kind of coming on to her. And she says to you, she goes, Mr. Paris, do you always fly at women at warp speed? And then you say, only when they're in visual range. Yeah. So it's like, yeah. you little stud muffins. Yeah, I didn't yeah. write it. I didn't was, write it. I know, but that was very, you know, that, that to me, you know, was so quintessential beginning of Tom Paris being sort of the ladies man being, yeah. the, you know, kind of, you know, that guy. Um, but we learn that from that speech that Voyager has bio neural circuitry. Okay. And so this is a new concept in Trek at the time, because now you're saying that the ship has basically living material. It's like, it, it's mm -hmm. alive in a sense. And I find that we, I think that we also then influenced the uh, series Farscape. I don't know if you've watched any Farscape at all in mm -hmm. your, in your lifetime, but mm -hmm. Farscape was produced by the Jim Henson, the Muppet company um, in 1999. And their ship that, which is, you know, used in every episode is, alive it's completely alive so wow. I, I think that 
our show sort of took precedent and I think other sci-fi writers or other sci-fi creators took um, some of our ideas and incorporated it into their shows. So mm. um, that's just one point that I, I realized. Yeah, it's funny, that. the show that I'm, uh, the show that I'm doing right now uh, is called Resident Alien. Alan Tudyk yeah. is the star and I'm producing that show and directing some episodes. But his spaceship, Alan Tudyk's spaceship that he comes and crashes into Earth with um, and gets stuck on, on Earth, his spaceship is, is bioneural in a way. Like the whole concept of that ship is that it's connected to him. So even if he's not, uh, you know, it's, it's yeah, it's, it's kind of like some telepathic, biological, and... Uh, almost a combination of like minority report, like virtual controls that, that he's able to control. And, and it's all connected to kind of his own internal biological, you know, makeup. And so, yeah, I think that's, I, that's interesting. I, I don't know what shows did it before, but yeah, that was very new for Star Trek. We were groundbreakers. Yeah, most definitely. Um, so the next scene we come upon Cork uh, and Kim. You know, I start this confrontation with Quark when I said, well, we were warned about the Ferengi at the Academy. And uh, that sort of started the whole um, Quark and Kim uh, altercation or whatever that was, which you end up saving the day and pulling yeah. me away, like you said earlier. And then we ended up- yeah, It's uh, funny though, like what your your comment, you know, we were warned about the Ferengi at the Academy. I mean, sure, that that's, I guess, offensive on some level, but he would have- tried to scam you no matter what you said. You could That's have, true. Oh, it's That's a true. it's a beautiful, you know, uh space station here at Deep Space 9. You could have said something, you know, anything. I think the the, the he would have he would have tried to scam you and hustle you. You're right about that. And it was a good scene. Uh I I, I was less nervous at that scene obviously. Um then after that um the pilot goes to the sick bay where we find the original doctor do you remember that? We had the original doctor played by Jeff McCarthy. Yep. That is the original doctor who mm -hmm. ends up dying later uh, when we're hit by the phase, uh, uh, the displacement wave that pulls us to the Delta Quadrant. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Um, so we're in that scene, and this is the first time you glimpse on the clamshell bed of the, of the sick bay is a crew member. And that crew member was John Tampoya, my Filipino uh, stand-in, okay? So John, right. do you remember John Tampoya? Yeah. Okay, so John Tampoya is on there, and as we're watching, Megan goes, is that you on the on the bed? And I'm like, no, it's me walking into the scene. But yes, it's John Tampoya who looks like in a recline-prone position that it could be me. Right. And one of the funny things is that for me that I just never could understand was, when they put him in a Starfleet uniform, they put him in the same color as mine. And it's like, why would you put the Asian extra in the same color as, give him the red or the green. Why, right. the, why the gold? Now people are going to be watching the scene. Oh, there's Harry again. Oh, Harry must have cloned himself. You know, because <laughs> certain people who think all Asians look alike, they're going to be wow. like, there's Harry again and again and again. And in reality, it was John Tampoya over and over again. Mm -hmm. That scene was my first actual uh, ADR was from that scene. Oh, really? Um, yes, because remember the doctor, that doctor does not like Tom Paris. There was issue, no, you guys had- Nobody liked me. He hated you. I mean, he 
he hated you probably more than Chakotay did, it seemed. And he, he hated me. And, yeah. and uh, so did the first officer. He the hated you. The first officer yeah. hated me. They were talking yeah. to you in, in the mess hall yeah, about later on. Spring. And yeah, everybody was trying to convince you to, uh, yeah. to, to not like me. But I saved yeah. money. I saved you money in Quark's Bar. So. You did. So you, you, were, you were vindicated there. That's I right. do owe you. But I just wanted to say, because in order to break up the tension between you and Jeff McCarthy's character, the original doctor, I said, I said, um, uh, I haven't paid my respects to the captain yet either. Now, when you listen to this, when you watch the pilot, there's a distinct difference in the tone of, of my voice in other parts of the episode and here, because again, this was my first time doing voiceover. And for those of you out there that don't realize this, but Voyager, specifically Voyager uh, and Star Trek, we do more ADR work than any other show on the planet, I think. I mean, like we would have hours and hours and pages of, of, of voiceover that we would have to do in a studio after the fact. And this is my first big gig and then my first time doing voiceover for ADR. I was, I was so nervous and I have to, and you have to, you have to time it because they give you these beeps before your line. So you're, you're sitting there in a soundstage, you watch the actual episode and then right before your the line that you're supposed to redo and you're redoing this mainly so they have a clear um, uh, copy of it, basically. Is that right, Robbie? Is that the right way to say it? You know? Yeah, they're, yeah, they're, they're, uh, the reason it's called looping is because looping. They, used, they used to put a clip, uh, a clip of the film that had the lines that you were replacing, the additional dialogue or the replacement dialogue. They would literally loop that piece of film so that you get in a rhythm and you'd say, you know, whatever the line is. What was the line that you looped? I said, uh, I haven't paid my respects to the captain yet either or either. Yeah. So it would be like, uh, I haven't paid my respects to the captain yet either. Beep, beep, beep. Uh, I haven't paid my respects to the captain yet either. Beep, beep, beep. So they yeah. do it in a loop yeah. and you do a few, you do a few recordings and then they would stick it in and hopefully it, you know, it would sync up. Um, yeah. but, they, but they keep the same sort of, you know, the beeps and the flash, you'd see the, you'd see the kind of, flat things on mm -hmm. the screen the yep. beep, beep. but the thing was it was it was three beeps and you went on the on the supposed fourth beat if there yeah. was a fourth beat so it was yeah. like beep 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 go and so for me i couldn't get the timing down i was sweating in there i was flipping out we were doing that just that first that just the first line of dialogue right we spent probably 25 minutes on that and i literally honestly robbie i almost thought i can't do this I'm gonna have to call up Berman and say, I, I gotta quit. I can't do this job. I can't, I cannot do the looping. And I was flipping out so much that I could not match the tone, the acting that I put in that day in, in the sick bay, the actual, you know, the, the, the work that I did. So, so honestly, from just a, a, an objective observer who doesn't know me, doesn't know anything about me or doesn't know anything about Voyager, if you're watching this first scene, it's going to come off as crappy acting. I think it's sort of like, wow, that, that's a really bad delivery of the line. And it's because I was so uncomfortable mm. with doing voiceover. But um, I think, I think looping, even for good actors, it's, I, I always feel like it's so much better to have the real dialogue in there that you're doing. Definitely. Because even people that are good at looping uh, and ADR work, you, you can feel the disconnect. It's very, yeah. very hard to get, get the sound and the sync of with the lips and right all of it yeah they don't teach you looping class or they have you know they don't teach you these things that you need to learn in the real world uh as a professional actor that that everyone has to do but 
you never learn this when you're, t- yeah. you're doing your stuff in college, right? And that continues into the next scene. We walk out in the hallway. Again, my, my lines are very kind of stilted and kind of really kind of abrupt. And again, again, the looping kind of was, that was another scene that I couldn't get the looping down very well. Um, and then while we're watching that, Megan says, why does Robbie's V come lower than yours? And this is something I never, ever really noticed. But now I notice if you look at your V on your uniform, it comes below the black line. It goes below. Mine stops at the black line. So you and Janeway, it goes below. Chakotay goes below. Balana Torres goes below. But Tuvok and I, I don't understand that. I don't know what that you know, what the history behind that is, what it means, you know, or is it just a choice it when you join Starfleet? Choice, like a, it could just be Bob Blackman and the, the wardrobe department just making an aesthetic choice on what looks better on different right. people. You know what I mean? Right. But I just think that's really funny. Like as you join Starfleet, their, their question is low V or high V? And you're like, uh, I'll take a low V. And then you get a low V right? <laughs> like the rest of your life as a Starfleet officer. Yeah. Take a break now, or should we take a break? I think for those of you watching and listening, this pilot is uh, is is longer than I remembered. It's not a regular episode; it's an hour and a half long. Um, We're going to really dive in deep to this one, so let's take a break, and we'll see you soon for part two of our recap of Caretaker.